0: out on defense he's all the way back uh, stevenson is, gonna is inside the 30 flips it back stanford band nowhere in sight oh, oh it's picked off oh oh no unbelievable oh wow incredible chandler jones takes it in and
1: wins the game for the raiders
0: in the, the final play situationally how do you weigh
2: what was called as opposed to taking a shot at the end zone
0: Taking a shot at the end of it. Yeah, like a Hail Mary
2: 55 yards away. Couldn't,
0: could. yeah, couldn't throw it that far.
2: 706 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Brown sports at 650. The audio you just heard, that was the end of the Patriots Raiders game yesterday, which defies logic. You've never seen it before. I doubt you'll ever see it again. That was then followed by Bill Belichick's explanation for why. The New England Patriots didn't just throw a hail mary to try and get it in the end zone at the end of the game. His answer, because Mac Jones couldn't throw it that far. You're listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Broughshaw in the morning is brought to you by the Delari Family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier. Metal Recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. It is time now for our Monday morning quarterback, brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton is your home of football. Uh, he is our NFL insider from Football Outsiders. Mike Tannier, here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet to 650.
3: Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great, but if Bill Belichick ever takes that podium and starts talking about accountability and it starts at the top and do your job, after that press conference, I hope someone hits him with a cream pie in the face.
2: (laughs) You wrote that 30 years from now, when NFL historians look back and try to pinpoint (laughs) the exact moment in the Belichick era where New England had officially run its course, uh, it was yesterday. Can you really put into context just how profound a gaffe that was across all levels of the Patriots organization?
3: I can, and it is like a neat bookend that like the the era starts with the Tuck rule against the Raiders, and it ends with with that. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, you know it's it's a mistake on the field, and it's a mistake from by a couple of guys trying to be heroes. And then you have to start asking questions like, since when did since when do Patriots players go rogue and start doing goofy stuff at the end of the game? Like that's something that would have been absolutely unheard of. Uh, a couple of years ago, you know, Bel- Belichick would have set them on fire, and so would have Tom Brady, and so would have Josh McDaniels, and Gronk would have sat on them, or or whatever. All these things would have happened in the past, and now you have this team that's it- kind of so loosey-goosey that these guys play this, like, historically dumb situational football. And then, after the game, Belichick, first, first he hides. Belichick does not come out for that press conference until about 15 or 20 minutes later. And, you know, guys in the Patriots media are talking about that, talking about how he, he's out there so fast after the game that you have to run down to the, to, to, the, to the press center to get there in time. And here he's hiding, and they send Myers out there. To talk. And, they, and they send Matt Jones. They send Matt Jones out there to talk about that play, where his role in it was to get flattened by a 280-pound defensive end on the way to the end zone. And he has to go up there and take full responsibility for it. And then Belichick comes up, and you just played it, makes a snotty remark about, how Mac Jones can't throw 55 yards. You're the one who drafted them, coach. You're the one who gave him the starting job, coach. Come on. Just a a, a failure on the field that just underscores the failures that are going on within the organization that we think of as the marquee organization in the NFL. Uh,
2: Under any other circumstances, that would have been the biggest story of the weekend for the NFL, except for the fact that on Saturday, the league decided to offer up the biggest comeback in the history of Of the sport, a 33-point comeback by the Minnesota Vikings over the Indianapolis Colts. There's like a million different takeaways from this, but, I mean, one of them, Jason pointed it out earlier, is like Matt Ryan and big leads. Does not care for them, does not want them anymore. But um, was this, now this is such an obvious, easy question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Was this more about the Vikings and what they were able to do, or Jeff Saturday and the Colts and what they were unable to do?
3: Yeah, it's more about the Colts. In fact, in the Football Outsiders, Uh, Rankings, the Vikings actually went down (laughs) because of that win. They make this epic comeback. But from a statistical standpoint, the statistics ask the questions like, you know, why are you giving up pick sixes to the Colts? Why are you giving up, you know, blocked kicks? All these things that you gave up to the Colts. None of that stuff should happen. You should not be in that position. And, you know, on the Vikings side of the ball, if a team has, uh, you know, a playoff team has one win like that, one comeback like that on their resume, it might be a sign of resilience, a sign that they you know, find ways to get things done, that they stick together, et cetera. The Vikings have like five wins like that on their resume. When you look at their comebacks, everything's a 10-point comeback at the last second, sometimes against a great team like the Bills, but a lot of times against a team like the Colts. That's a sign of luck. That's a sign of flukiness. That's a sign that the Vikings are just waiting to go in the playoffs and to try going down by 20 points against one of the good teams, and then we'll see what happens to them. Are the Detroit Lions one of the good teams now? They have, according to Football Outsiders, cracked the top ten in our DVOA statistical rankings. It's the first time they're in the top ten since, like, the Barry Sanders era uh, this late in the season. Uh, but they are. And and you're seeing, you know, all three phases, what they're capable of. Like Their, their offense struggled a lot against a very good Jets defense. So what happens if defense comes through? Special teams comes through, get them a punt return touchdown. You know, make some other plays for them along the way, and that's what these Lions are capable of right now.
1: I, I can't believe, by the way, that the Lions started the season one and six, yeah, and now they're one of the teams that the Seahawks are in a race with, with mm-hmm. for the for the fi- final wild card yes. spot in the NFC. And you almost look at the way the Lions are are playing, and you look at their remaining schedule at Carolina uh home to chicago and then at green bay and you're kind of looking then going well they got as good a chance as the as the seahawks maybe a better chance than the seahawks good a chance as chance um the washington commanders who lost to the giants yesterday that final playoff spot i guess in the nfc is pretty wide open right
3: it is pretty wide open and i was pulling up some of the odds and you know the seahawks are at plus 160 right now the lions are plus 130 uh, they're favored over the Seahawks to get, to get that spot. The Commanders are still in their plus two hundred. Giants minus five hundred now. Giants are kind of penciled in for for that second playoff spot, which is remarkable in and of itself. But yeah, it's a testament to the way that the lines are trending in the right direction right now. Seahawks. Some of that stuff that was really working that might have had them a little inflated earlier in the season. Uh, you know, things about the big plays they were getting from the running game. You know, Geno completing eighty percent of his passes and not like sixty five percent, which is still very good. All of those things are kind of coming back to the roost for Seahawks. Meanwhile, the Lions, who, remember, at the start of the season, were losing close games. They were, like, a little bit better than their record said they are. That's a team that's trending in the right direction.
1: So a team I still cannot quite get a handle on, and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way, they get a lot of attention, is the Dallas Cowboys, who (laughs) nearly lost to Houston in Week 14 and then did lose in Jacksonville to the Jags. Um, does this, where does this come back to? Does this come back to Dak and whether or not he can play mistake free football?
3: I think there is a problem with Dak that folks don't like to talk about who are like really Dak supporters. Dak haters love this. <laughs> but Dak supporters like to pretend that it's normal to have two interception games like, you know, four times in six weeks. Like that's a normal thing for a playoff down quarterback to do, and, and it's not. And part of that falls on him and his tendency to just sort of make bad mistakes at bad times. Some of it falls on the coaching. If you look at that tip drill interception in overtime, there's like three receivers in the same spot. Look back and watch the replay. There are three receivers standing around where he throws that ball. Now he shouldn't throw the ball into that bunch, but that's the play call. That's the design. They're not running things as crisply as they should. And it's the same old Cowboys problem going back before Dak to the Tony Romo teams and some of these other teams along the way. It's not, Put, it's put together in a way that's kind of like set up to trip over uh, an opponent because, you know, the, the fit and finish isn't there. Uh, the, 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 the fundamental football isn't there. They look like they were different earlier in the year when they were winning games. Now they look like that team. You mentioned the Texans game. The Packers game was another example where they looked like that. Even the Colts game was 21-19 until the Colts got silly again uh, late, late in, that, in that game. So, you, you know, when you put that all together, the Cowboys are saying, yep, we are who you think we are. And the playoffs are going to be another situation. Hey, maybe look at the Vikings, and all heck will break loose. But other than that, the Cowboys look like they're designed to self-destruct when the time comes.
2: Speaking of Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We talked about Belichick earlier, Mike, and we said it. we might have found the exact moment where the Belichick era in New England had run its course. That might have been yesterday. Now, he's inextricably linked to Tom Brady forever. Brady now, of course, Mm -hmm. with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do wonder if we are going to see the Brady era run its course in the playoffs when they limp their way in because that division is so putrid. And then Tampa Bay goes into a playoff game and gets absolutely annihilated by whomever they play. And then we will say, wow, what a rather unfortunate ending to a brilliant career but i just feel like it's running its course right now and then when they get to the playoffs it will have run its course
3: the buccaneers would be 4 and 10 except that the rams collapsed late in the fourth <laughs> right. quarter and tom brady got that comeback and the saints collapsed late in the fourth quarter and then brady went and got that comeback as well but these were games where you know the, the buccaneers had put up 3 points or like 6 points or whatever it was going into the fourth quarter with about 4 minutes left and pulled the, the, the stunt against these teams that looked like they were just waiting for an opportunity to get, to, to get jobbed along the way. And if the Buccaneers try to do that stuff against the 49ers defense, the Cowboys defense, when it's closer to full strength, the Eagles defense, when that pocket collapses on Brady, he is like a hollowed out oak tree. He is ready to crumble. And it's pretty obvious that, that's, that, that the only thing he's got left is clean pocket, surgically beating teams. If you get pressure on him, he's done and those teams are going to get pressure on him. Let's just say what's interesting about the NFC is you you keep saying, oh, the the Cowboys are ready to fall apart. Vikings are ready to fall apart. The Giants aren't for real. These last teams are for real. It's hard to look at this this NFC and say anything besides the Eagles and the 49ers are are, are poised to make a run. And by the the way, the 49ers have a seventh-round rookie quarterback uh, under center, so it's a very strange conference right now. Where are the Bengals
1: for you in the AFC power rankings? So Buffalo and KC will give them one and two, regardless of the way um, you slot them, unless you disagree with that. Or are, are the Bengals could the Bengals be number three?
3: Yeah, the Bengals are absolutely number three, and I don't. I think there's a huge gap. I'm looking at our football outsiders numbers right now, and the Bills are number one, and and it's very close between the. Uh, Chiefs and Bengals at number two. And then there's this big gap, and then there's the Dolphins, and then there's this big gap in everybody else. And he just, the Bengals have a lot of avenues to victory right now. You're seeing Joe Burrow win games without it just being bomb the chase, bomb the chase, bomb the chase. He's getting the ball to these other guys. Running game looks a little bit better. Offensive line looks a little bit better. And yesterday, that defense, again, it was a, it was a slow start. Uh, the Buccaneers looked pretty good earlier. The defense took over. The pass rush, which was missing guys took over, the secondary took over in that game and helped the Bengals' offense come around. So when you see a team that has the explosive capability of Burrow to chase, has also learned to play a little bit more station-to-station football and can get enough out of defense, there's not a lot of great teams in the NFL. The Bengals are among those great teams.
2: We're speaking to Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Brush show on Sportsnet 650. Um, You know, is there anyone, I think we talked about the Chargers last week and they got uh, another fairly impressive victory on the weekend, uh, is there enough there that they could make some noise? Because I keep watching them play, and it's not—it's not the most awe-inspiring football of all time. But Justin Herbert is—I mean, now that he's got his receivers back, he looks like he's a guy that can make plays in big moments with routine. But I just don't know if they've got enough to throw a real scare into someone if we're going to be saying you know, it is those aforementioned three teams because I think that the Bengals definitely belong there. Is it just going to be Chiefs, Bills, Bengals or do the Chargers or another team in the FC have a chance to try and upset the power?
3: You look at the Chargers and Herbert can play lights out especially when he's got Williams and Allen back but it comes and goes. You have these long stretches where they just do nothing offensively. Their defense looks a little bit better so that makes them solid. It's You have to stack up a lot of, wow, Herbert goes completely uh, super scion to get them up into the conversation with the others. And that's the same problem. You'd have to take the Patriots' defense and Belichick's genius and, like, take it to this next level to say they're a threat to these opponents. The Jets forget about the Jets. The Chargers, I mean, they're going to be in the playoffs potentially. I think that they can be an interesting team in there. The one team that's a possible threat to the big three is the Baltimore Ravens when they get Lamar Jackson back. Uh, but you know, we've seen we've seen them in the playoffs. We've seen all the things that happen. The fourth and one stops. The oh, you're down by a touchdown, you need to come back, Jackson can't find any wide receivers. We've seen all of those plays. But when they're striking at full strength, they're a potential threat. I'll throw the Dolphins in there if they if they figure their offense out, they're a potential threat. These teams like the Chargers, the Jets, you know, the the, the maybe the Jaguars who seem to be coming around. They're more like a wait-until-next-year type of situation. Mike, this was great, man. Thanks
2: a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy Monday Night Football as best you can, and we will do this again right. next Monday.
3: Thank you. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year to everyone if I don't speak to you guys next week.
2: Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All the same to you. That's Mike Tanney, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
1: Do you wish the uh, – or do you th- do you think the Monday night – Football people wish that they could flex out of certain games. Gee, you think <laughs>
2: <laughs> that game tonight, aside from the fact that I guess it's a weather game because it's frigid and Lambo, but uh, there's nothing
1: really. I mean, <laughs> weather games are overrated because for five minutes it's kind of like, whoa, look at this spectacle. And then a lot of the time you're like, eh, this is just bad football. Kudos right to
2: the Buffalo fans who took it to the next level. Know, the snowballs, snowballs were yeah, funny. Yeah. That was pretty yeah. good. Okay. Um, I want to get back into the Vancouver Canucks stuff here because Patrick Galveen. Uh, was on After Hours with um, John Garrett and Scott Oak on Saturday on Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada. And it's funny, we got a lot of quotes from the interview, despite the interview being one that was classified as guy not saying a lot.
1: Or saying a lot of words without saying anything of substance. Yeah, Kevin Sheveldayev watched that interview, and he was like, good, he's learning. He's like learning it. how to say a lot of words I without Masterclass. without saying <laughs> much of it. So, sometimes he doesn't even uh, pretend to answer the question. He just says some stuff. He just I've tells been, him to go suck a lemon. Yeah, he did does he do, Why does he
2: do that? <laughs> chef's kiss at the end of it. He's like, oh, it's brilliant. Um, I want to play Patrick Alvine when asked about, this is Scott Oaks phrasing, the R word, and he, rebuild in this instance, because the Canucks have kind of put forth this is the front office i'm talking about have put forth the notion that we're not rebuilding we're just always building and like Lane's credence to this notion that we're always trying to get better we're always building so Patrick Alvin was asked straight out about his idea his thoughts his feelings on the possibility of a rebuild here's what he had to say
0: i think as a as a team in in today's world you you're always uh building um you know, you're not ever, never satisfied. you always brick by brick. And, and when you're actually winning, you start building again. So um, I don't, uh, uh, you know, we're not, we, I guess we'll just continue to build here. And uh, as I said, Jim, when Jim and I came in here, um, there was a lot of good young pieces here on the team. And we want to continue to add uh, uh, younger players, uh, preferably 25 and younger. And uh, I think we've been able to do so at this point. And it takes time. So maybe this all
1: comes down to the debate on what's the best way to build, then? And some people think that if you're going to build something, you got to take away some stuff first. Mm -hmm. Other people think that you build with draft picks, and that's where you build. You start building there. Tear down or renovate. Yeah, that's essentially it. What do we do? So... For Patrick Alvin to come on and say we're always just looking to build, I I get what he's saying. I think I get what I say and get get what he's saying. He's saying we're just gonna keep trying to get better. We're this right now, and we're not going to intentionally get worse. We're just gonna keep trying to get better. But there are there's definitely a sizable uh, contingent out there that would like to see the Canucks get. St- Intentionally worse because they believe that, here's why. They believe that this current group, and you can count me among this group. Yes. Is topped out at what they can become with what they've got right now. The players that they've got right now, think about it. Their best players are in their primes right now. Their best, again, their best players are in their primes right now. And they're still not a very good hockey team. And people say, we'll get rid of, uh, you know, some of the dead weight. Can't do it. Easier said than done. So what do you do? A lot of people would suggest sell off some of those players. Right. And, and accept that you're going to get worse. And then maybe for two or three years, you're going to be drafting And you're going to just try it again. And this time, you're going to do it a little more. um, You're not going to. What's frustrating about the Canucks, and we've said this multiple times, is so many of the issues with their roster are self inflicted. The spending, the bad trades that have added bad contracts to the group, Oliver Ekman Larson being the best example of that, the trading away of draft picks, the trading away of good young players. Whether it's Forsling or Jared McCann, the impatience that this current group um, was built with, mm-hmm. tear it down, rebuild, but this time rebuild a little more patiently than you did the last time. Have I have I misconstrued what what? A lot of people are, are thinking with this group, like, this time, do it right. Yeah. You are...
4: Actually rebuild. They've never done that. You're... There's never yeah. been a rebuild. They've never even said the words rebuild. Have they? Uh, well, Scott Oak did. Well, I mean, the, the management group. <laughs> Ownership, management, whatever you want to say. <laughs> they took the re off. It. Like, they've they never, like never the even acknowledged the, re- the rebuild. It's always been a retool or a pecking away or a brick by brick. There's never actually been an acknowledgement, like, look, we have to rebuild this group from the bottom up. That's never been done since it had to be. They had to start doing this back in like 2013. They had all these years to try and do it. They could have been through their second rebuild by now if they did it properly. But no, they've never acknowledged that they actually had to do that properly, and this is where they are.
2: Uh, we got to dip out for a sec here. We will be back on the other side. We'll continue this conversation. If you want to weigh in, Dunbar Lumber Text Line is 650, 650. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet, 650.
3: You take care best offensive player out and usually that's uh, uh that's not a good thing on any team
2: 732 on a monday chilly monday i'm just getting up to speed with today's weather forecast sounds like more snows on the horizon how many times were you out shoveling the walk yesterday uh, a couple times and i was, I was salting two- it down and- yeah I had, a, I had a two shovel that was it wasn't too bad i put a lot mm-hmm. of salt down after the first one so but it was a two shovel day yeah, hopefully maybe one today. It's cold, man. Mm-hmm. I know we get in it rather early. Oh, no, it's cold, and it's going to bona- get colder. Bonafide ungodly hours, but it was cold out there. It's going to be like minus 12 on Thursday or something.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. My I parents are visiting from Ontario.
4: One. They brought the weather with them, so I apologize. They just everyone. parked it. <laughs> are they
1: are they going to be the Ontario types? It's like, it's not that cold. I'm wearing shorts. No, too. they're like,
4: it's it's different here. It's uh, the dampness. you know.
2: It, just it hits different. You. It hits you. Yeah. I saw a guy wearing shorts this morning, too. Oh, what a brave soul. Yeah, uh, I saw
1: that too. It was right outside the station. Yeah. I'm like, he didn't even look like he was going to the gym either.
2: Just like shorts. He's just a
1: shorts guy. <laughs> yeah.
2: You are listening to the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program. Brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle.
1: You get paid. We're coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net.
2: At audio, we played coming back from break. That was Bruce Boudreau following Vancouver's 5-1 loss to the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday night at Rogers Arena. Laddie did the count. Do you remember it off the top of your head, Uh, all the five-goal games, either good, bad, or otherwise, that the Canucks have been involved in? We know that, what is it, it's four 5-1
1: losses at home this year. Right, but they've won 5-1 a couple of times, right? Yeah,
4: two times, so it's
2: six 5-1 games, but they've also had two 5-2 losses.
1: I love five-goal
2: games, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just either way. It it is a truly remarkable stat, the home, that they've lost 5-1 at home four times already this year i don't know what it is about saturday night at rogers arena when it involves the vancouver canucks
1: but it has been brutal
2: brutal hey, this that year.
1: overtime loss or overtime win over the coyotes that was magic that's right i forgot about the premier that. teams
2: in the nhl yeah it was magic not even counting the 5-1 losses i mean and i think back it's like even the open the opener. Opener against Buffalo when there were multiple jerseys on the ice. Like, the 5-1 loss to Buffalo. <laughs> it was 5-1. It was 5-1. Uh, the, the loss to Minnesota last weekend was gross. It's flat. It's really bizarre. It's almost comical, except <laughs> we're not laughing. We're not laughing at all. Anyway, after this latest 5-1 loss, uh, we mentioned, and we have played a lot of the audio and we we'll are continue to do that, Patrick Alvine, Canucks general manager, went on After Hours with Scott Oak and John Garrett and talked at length. About the club, but despite talking at length about the club, we had no real idea of what the direction, the future of the plan was for the club. However, some people did point out that there was an Elias Pettersson angle, which kind of raised eyebrows. You'll remember earlier in the season, I think it was a preseason interview that Alvin did. He classified the Canucks as a team that don't have the superstar. Remember that? Right, yep. Don't have the superstar. And it was an interesting remark because a lot of people said, well, I thought Pedersen might be a superstar. So, in fielding questions from Twitter, which is always enjoyable, (laughs) Scott Oak found one that asked Alvin if he was willing to revisit that assessment of the Canucks not having a superstar and if Elias Pedersen is indeed that superstar. Uh, Here is Johnny Tightlips himself, the answer to uh, revisiting this is the conversation about Pedersen being a superstar.
0: You know what? Elias has been really good. Uh, credit to him. He, he came prepared this summer. Um, and it's showing us uh, that he's capable of, of taking over and, and uh, leading by example. Uh, not just only scoring goals, but the way he plays a 200-foot game. Um, the way he's been m- probably our most consistent player here. So I think he's on the rise, and, and it's great to see.
2: The only reason I bring this up so is he didn't because, answer the question, right? Well, th- a lot of people pointed out it's like just call him a superstar. Now I'll I would give Elvin some credit there. Is that if you don't need to put anything out there for fodder, yeah. don't bother. But, he's also
1: he's also got a fairly big contract negotiation yeah, coming okay. up with Elias Petterson
2: Because uh, I'm sure JP Barry is just sitting there waiting. He's like call him a superstar. Yeah, say it out loud on the record. So, uh, but it's an interesting uh, topic of conversation. In light of what Elliot Friedman said prior to the game on that same broadcast, that everyone on this team, except for Elias Pedersen, or sorry, Pedersen is the only untouchable. That's what, uh, Friege's reporting reportage, kind of unveiled. So there's a real interesting dynamic here, as it pertains to the conversation you and I have been having all day. Where what's the plan? Is there a rebuild? Would they even entertain it? If the notion is there's only one untouchable, you'd have to say yeah. Maybe the option is out there, but when you hear them talk and you see the actions and you see the history, it's hard to really say that anyone either has the stomach or is fully committed or even partially committed to rebuilding. I, I hate saying it out loud, but you you keep throwing it out there, and rightfully so, that you're like, I'm good with this group. I've seen it. They've tried it. I don't like it. I don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. Make some change. I'm I'm not good with the group. <laughs> you're good with me. You're good with moving. I've seen on. enough. You're good with moving. I've on. seen enough. Uh, and and that's great. And that's I'm glad that it's out there and it reflects a large portion of our listenership and the fan base.
1: Prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong.
2: The issue is that the people in charge of making the decisions might not, and dare I say, are not there. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in doing what. The New York Rangers did most notably, and probably most recently, is the is the idea of a public declaration,
1: the white flag. The on Habs, this group. Habs did it too. The
2: Habs had done it too, but the Habs are still in that process of getting back to being.
1: I would consistent. say chi- I would say Chicago's in the midst of doing it too. Yeah, well, Chicago's at the very beginning. Chicago mm-hmm. stinks right now, mm-hmm. right? I mean, well, Chicago's still got to sell off Taves and Kane. Yeah,
2: so they're they're in the the early stages of it. the mm-hmm. The Rangers are at the point where you can say proof of concept. Right? Sure. You yeah. send a letter, you trade away everyone that you like, mm-hmm. and you start anew. And there's only one guy, one guy, from those teams that went to the Stanley Cup Final in 2014 and 20, whatever the years were. Yeah, yeah. And it's just Chris Kreider. Mm-hmm. Everything else is new. So, I feel like we're at a point now that a lot of people want to see that in Vancouver and we don't know where the management group is. Biggest difference with that Rangers group is that that group accomplished something. It was good. And then everyone acknowledged it was time to end it. Right, Too old. Henrik Lundqvist ain't getting any younger. Everything that was got more like
1: change. the 2012 Canucks group or the right. 2013 Canucks group.
2: The, the biggest, the fundamental difference between what happened there and what's going on in Vancouver right now is that you've got a fan base that is just exasperated and exhausted by all the losing. They're just tired of it.
1: We are, we, we are now, by the way. Like, we're in... Buffalo and Edmonton territory. Do you remember, do you remember, um, I guess it was probably five or six years ago. Now people would say, God, I hope we don't turn into Edmonton. Or I hope we don't turn into Buffalo where you sit there and you have these debates. Like, is it the culture? Well, I don't know if it's, the, I don't know if you can say it's the culture when you have a blue line like this. Is it the coach? Should we change the coach again? What about a GM? Like, how are we gonna get out of this? How are we gonna get out of this? We're we're just caught in this this endless cycle of, you know, all right, bring in this veteran player or see if this turns it around or you know, do this or do that. Like what is the problem? There seem to be so many problems, we can't get a can't get a handle on all the problems. Yeah. Like it, we're there now. We are in Vancouver. We are Buffalo. We are the Edmonton Oilers. Unfortunately, we we're the Edmonton Oilers before they found McDavid. Right. And
2: this entire backdrop, what you're talking about, is what this current management group inherited? Good, bad, or otherwise, that's the gig. That's the job. That's the game plan. Right? You, you can't escape your history, and you can't just... I don't, I, I don't know everyone wants to say we're starting fresh, but it's a lie. No one starts fresh. You no. inherit everything, including a fan base that is, one, rabid, and two... Frustrated. That's a Mm -hmm. bad combination, right? If there was winning to appease them, you might have a more collective buy-in to whatever this current management group was selling. But you don't have a lot of success over the last decade.
1: Here's a question that I have for you. Okay. And Laddie and Adog. If they want to participate, if they're not busy doing producer stuff how much of the frustration with this current Canucks group has in the fact that not only are they losing, they're losing in really pathetic ways. I'll turn this one over to
2: Andy, because Andy's the most wide-eyed, optimistic guy of the group. He loves the performances
1: performances at home when they're just so toothless and they don't have anything that you can really latch on to. There's not like well, you know what, at least they're, like, working really hard. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you look at the team and go, wow, this is just a team that doesn't have enough talent, but at least they're out there blocking shots and and, and hitting guys and, and showing emotion, like, showing some try, the, their losses at home have been, you know, they're getting booed off the ice. Their jersey's on the ice. How much of that do you think plays into the frustration with management's kind of, we're just going to keep on going attitude?
4: I would imagine, without knowing for certain, that the players probably look at this lack of direction and find it disheartening because they know, like, there's nothing. This is as good as it's going to get for this core of players. As you said yourself They're in their primes now. This is it. This is as good as it's going to get unless there are massive changes that are made. But the management group and ownership has never given any inkling or sign that, that they want that to happen, that they would rather just piecemeal it and hope that it works out. And St. Louis blues it. Hey, you get in the playoffs, anything will happen. Right. You know, and it's just that's never worked. I mean it's a crapshoot at best but, but but for you as a fan it's disheartening. disheartening disheartening to see the
1: performances at home
4: and knowing that there's nothing good coming down in the pipeline like if they had like five or eight um, really high draft picks coming yeah. up in the next two or three drafts mm-hmm. especially this draft which is one of the best in like 15 years they're saying if they had a bunch of picks coming up in this draft I would be able to stomach the losing because I'd be knowing like okay down the road there are there are going to be changes we're getting in new talent we're getting in young players and the, and the dynamic will change but that that's not the case. And yes, part of it's the cap, and part of it is they're, they're constricted and not able to make these moves because of just the, the economics of it all, mm-hmm. but they still haven't given any, any signs to the fan base that they're willing to do that, and I think that is the most frustrating part, even more than the losing. I could stomach the losing if I know there's a future, but there isn't a future right now. It's just perpetual me- mediocrity.
1: Yeah, it's a capped-out team with no prospects coming, and they're still losing games like this. Yeah,
4: there's no... <laughs> <laughs> they're screwed and they're like
1: let's you keep know? going yeah let's keep just going just no... with this like where are you gonna go what's your direction they haven't
4: even told us that well, building okay. building it we're building what does that mean
2: yeah it's it's gotten past the point of where you're like oh they're new on the job give them time you're obviously in evaluation mode right at this the, the scary part right now is i was thinking about this last night is the best i think the best case scenario is that when the story is written. It's one of those, yeah, it started rocky, but boy, they pulled it together. That's the, that's the because right now there's no other way to classify the first year of this regime mm-hmm. other than pretty rocky. Yep. You know, like no one right now has taken, and it's been a year on the job because we're December 19th, has taken the first year of the Rutherford era and said, Man, what a great opening salvo that was.
1: Would you think a little bit differently about this management group if they hadn't signed JT Miller to that massive extension? Cuz I would. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would think that, okay, listen, I I would give them more of a well, it's the flat cap excuse. Like even if even if Mikheyev had been at it cuz I look at I look at Mikheyev right now and I actually see him as an asset to the team. Like, yeah. I don't see him as an a, as a liability. No. He's still a young guy. They've added some decent he would pieces. St- he would still have a market value. If they were to trade Mikheyev right now, I'm sure they'd have people that were interested in giving them something tangible for Mikheyev. Um But the JT Miller contract for me was an endorsement of a player that I don't think, uh, given his age and frankly, some of the times the way he plays, um, should be leading this group. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean the Miller contract that extension it may it would make sense hell it would be a good deal for other teams in other situations
4: Yeah if they were like a cup contender Yeah like that's the it would the make thing. perfect
2: sense If you if you surgically removed it from the team and were able to port it over anywhere there's certain teams in the NHL that'd be a great deal
4: It was the first big red flag for me it was the first oh no is right. this going to be a Benning 2.0 like is yeah. this, it's going to start all over again
1: I have I have many questions for the group here, so I'm just going to keep asking them. Mm. Should we bristle at the notion that uh, Patrick Galvin called the Canucks the sixth youngest team in the NHL, or at least they started the season as the sixth youngest team? Because if you look at the actual stats of what their current team is— Their average age. They're like 27 years old. And one of the reasons that at the start of the season, they seemed a little bit younger, at least on paper, is because remember, Klimovic made the team. And that was, that was kind of a, uh, a just. He brought the average down. He brought the average. He's 19 years old, right? But, but he he obviously didn't make the team. He was on the opening day roster for salary cap purposes. He's like me in a group project. That seemed like bringing the average down. That seemed like a real, um, PR thing to say, you know, yeah. and that was a little, I don't we know. We didn't, didn't
2: use
4: Riley Stillman's name as like one of the. Part of me thought <laughs> well, that that, that was, was another thing. Okay. Too, so right? having, <laughs> yeah, having,
1: you sure did bring him in. <laughs> yeah,
2: Having, having watched this enough and kind of knowing how PR works is uh, the best way to not answer a question while answering a question is to literally rehash events as they played out. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's a good time killer. You know, when you come in in the morning and you're like, the Canucks played the blues last night in the first, no, I'm just kidding. But like, you know what I mean, (laughs) right? Like you, I mean, because that's all of the things that he said Mm -hmm. were statements of fact, right? They didn't answer a question. They didn't really bring anything new to light. You did bring in uh, Riley Stillman and Ethan bear. And those players are of the ages that you said that they were on, (laughs) on television. Yeah. And now the question has been answered. So I kind of thought that it was just a way to talk and say stuff without actually giving anything of substance.
1: I mean, the follow-up question would be like, so just keep doing those moves and everything will be fine?
2: Yeah, or could you point to some examples that aren't third-pair defensemen? the yeah. Bear's gotten better. Mm-hmm. and. You know when he brought. Could up, you
1: point he, to some examples that will actually make this team better?
2: And then he and then you know what the crazy part is, is pulls he, out a dictionary, starts defining hockey. What right. right. defines it is. the puck? <laughs> um, and I I do wonder if we should. He, he then went on to name check a bunch of other guys: Joshua, Amon, and a handful of others. I'm probably missing a couple in the moment. And in in this grand scheme of things, we've talked about this. Oh, Stodnika was the other one. Those acquisitions have been all right. Yeah. I think Stillman was. That's
4: one of the upsides. Of
2: Stillman season. was. Stillman's not good. I don't think they're. I don't know why you would champion that. I and mean, again, I think he just pulled it, was one of the names. But I think the Bear acquisition was good. Stanika. Uh, what's Stanika? Stadnica's not a player. I'm just saying. They're all. He's got the dangles. But they're all periphery guys. Yeah. Right? Maybe one day um, that you show. There can be a trend where you show a good ability at the pro scouting level to continually turn those type of guys over and get them in for cheap, and that's great. But it doesn't really address anything other than being able to fill in the
1: margins. Mm-hmm. And if It doesn't that- address the fact that they're still losing these games f- you know, at home that are just dreadful efforts, yeah. dreadful it- performances yeah. that seem to um, demonstrate a team that's not only not talented enough, but quite often just Miserable looking,
2: and this okay. So what? You, and this is where there's the void, and the unanswered question of what does this group think of this team, and what is this group's plan for addressing it? Because Alvin, why is
1: Bruce Boudreaux still the coach? Alvine was well, out, that, that that we haven't even talked about that.
2: Alvin was out there on Hockey Night in Canada, and. You know, he didn't even try and come up with excuses as to why they played like crap against the Jets. He's like, we were flat. Our power play wasn't very good. They didn't mention that their number one goalie was on the shelf, which is what every other GM would have done. Mm-hmm. To be perfectly honest, They'd be like, well, it's tough to win when our MVP from last season, a number one goalie's out. But he didn't do it. They don't really seem all that interested in making excuses for why the team isn't playing well. I mean, they've come out and said it. We had a bad camp. We weren't ready. We are always unprepared. We have inconsistent efforts. So in saying all that you'd take a step back and you'd be like boy the uh, the, the management group is off, awfully critical of the employees why do they keep the same employees or, or why do they yeah. add more employees to the space it, it is very very confusing and again I'll go back to my earlier point uh, to do this with, with what Rutherford and Alvin and everyone are doing to do this with, with this particular fan base at this particular moment it's tough because all fans want is something reassuring, right? They just want to hear. Andy was kind of alluding to it. I want to know what the future has in store. I want, I want to know, know that know. there is a future. And there, it is not their job to parse that information to the public. If you want to keep it behind closed doors, that's great. But you're going to have to expect a lot of pushback, mm-hmm. a lot of critiques, and a lot of criticisms. From a fan base that is, quite frankly, scarred from the last one. Because there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of losing.
1: The Vancouver Canucks have three games before the holiday break. They play tonight against the St. Louis Blues. We're giving away tickets. We are giving away tickets. Really selling Uh, it up, too, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) The St. Louis Blues, a team they might actually be able to beat. Uh, Thursday, they host the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken, I would call, a surprise team in a playoff position right now. We'll be and giving then tickets away for that, too. Friday, uh, they're in Edmonton, and that'll be an interesting one just because, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Oilers fans are kind of all over the Oilers right now. You know who's getting a lot of criticism on social media? Darnell, Darnell Nurse. Nurse. Yeah. They're ruthless with him right now. The Alberta teams has not been easy for those guys. So, three interesting games, I suppose. St. Louis tonight, Seattle on Thursday. Those are both home games. Pray for Mojo. And then Friday uh, on the second of a back-to-back, uh, they are in Edmonton. IMAC is going to join us next. i can ask IMAC, just what's your opinion on this team right now? Do you think they should rebuild? Do you think they have a plan? And if they do have a plan, can you help explain that plan? to the fans uh you're listening to the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 just a reminder to get your what we learns in text them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650 650 it is the smart alternative visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com be sure to include the ticket emoji with your what we learn, if you want to be entered into a draw for ten, uh, for tickets to tonight's Canucks Blues game, so be sure you can make that game. First of all, be sure you're willing to brave this weather, because Andy gets very frustrated. When he has to reply to people and say, you've won the tickets, and then they're like, actually, I can't go, because then Andy occasionally has to stay three minutes past 9 a.m. Unacceptable. And it's (laughs) really hard on him, because what Andy really wants more than anything Is to get home and have his morning Sunday cocoa,
4: hot cup of cocoa, hot (laughs) cup of cocoa in front of the fireplace, and
1: just just like so much sugar. Andy says he wants a future, but with all the sugar that he's eating, I don't know if he has one. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.